you and I both know that if we scripted this, the audience would smell a rat. People don't like that kind of stuff anymore. And no. it, maybe they never did. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales, and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, where James Robert interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay, and welcome to the 64th episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, where I am excited to welcome Sam Kilmer to the show. Sam is the Senior Director at Cornerstone Advisors, where he leads the fintech industry practice, along with some selected advisory engagements with banks, credit unions, industry providers, and investors. Hello, Sam, and welcome to the show today. Hey, good to be with you again, James Robert, as always. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, to to start the conversation, let's just reflect back on the century that 2020 was in and of itself. And, And just for you personally, what were some of the greatest lessons that you learned looking backwards? Uh, you mean back over the last decade or century? I wasn't there the whole century. I'm kind of old, but not that old. But, uh, <laughs> or you mean over the last year? Well, I'm just saying 2020 felt like a century in and of itself that we worked through. Because oh, I yeah. think by mid-year, it felt like we had already lived a decade. And by the time that we ended, it felt like we lived a, a, a century. I, I saw a quote the other day. You know, some some sometimes it feels like time moves where, you know, decades, you know, progress feels like it takes decades. And then other times we feel like we make a century's worth of progress in, in a week. Yeah, it's a good point. I, you know, looking back over 2020, I, the way I look at it is it was the culmination of several years and then the, and then a concentration of, oh, let's just call it maybe three or four years worth of change all in one big shock or stress test to the, at least to the banking industry, to the financial services industry. But I think to a great many of us, which was which was if we're all kind of gradually digitally transforming at a 7% year over year pattern or something, what happens when it's 70% all in one year? Um, And I think my big takeaway was gratitude and not taking many things for granted. I think many of us walked away if we weren't already tremendously grateful for things like our families and our, our school teachers and, uh, you know, we could go on and on. We certainly are now. We see what these people have had to go through. But uh, I, you know, I just when I when I think about it, look at things like holiday retail sales, James Robert. They came out higher in 2020 than in 2019. If you had asked me that in April, I would have said no way. But they came out higher. They just shifted even more than people expected. So we just we learned how to deal with the shift, I guess. I think you're tapping into a really big insight and a really big secret that I want to bubble up to the surface here. You mentioned gratitude. 
I think that's going to be a key element for many of us continuing through 2021 because the mind can only hold two thoughts or, or one thought at a time, but there's two com- uh, opposing sides. There's the the positive or the, the perspective, the mindset of abundance, but on the flip side, there's the negativity, the mindset of scarcity. So by continuously focusing on what's going well, it will help the mind naturally. You're going to train the mind to naturally move in that direction. To that point, what is going well? What are you specifically excited about right now with uh, with your view of the world? Well, I think uh, if you look at, uh, you know, just coming into 21 here and you're looking at still record interest in, in the tech sector and in um, a lot of development of positive change of helping people. I think another another thing that I've seen uh, really, really be on the rise is just whether you're a bank or you're a fintech or anything is a real focus on not just we have something that's cool, but how do we help people? What some people historically refer to as financial education or, you know, some people try to apply other technology to it like analytics or AI or whatever. Forget the technology and let's just start with the premise that we're trying to help people. And I think that's, that's absolutely front and center. And so like, I'll just come back to the gratitude thing and say, I think many of us were hustling about to airports and conferences and many things in two, two, uh, 2019. And in 2020, when that was taken away, we replaced it with a healthy sense of gratitude for the things that we have. I think the other uh, takeaway for me on this, James Robert, that I want to point out is when we talk about things like digital and growth, and in your case, both digital growth, there is a natural tendency to want to talk about the technology. And I think that's fine, but I will say there's just been a real focus on people. And even when you transform or change your delivery model as an organization, whether you're a bank or you're any business, If you go from full change from physical delivery of retail to e-commerce, there's still people involved in that. They're just doing different things. And the leaders of different things, of things in demand, they're just in leadership has never gone out of style. It's never gone out of demand. It's just that the skill sets have changed. I'm hearing echoes from a recent conversation that I had with uh, Carrie Ann on the podcast, who's the chief marketing officer at JMMB in Jamaica. And one of the things that 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 particular bank is being driven by is is a purpose, or they're they're literally banking on love. That is their central thesis. That is their their purpose. That is their north star. And to your point, helping people. What is this all about? I mean, like like let's come back to how one of the ancient writers defined love. It is to will the good of another person. And I think in a time like we're in right now, one of two things happens: we either turn inwards and focus on ourselves and our, our needs, which is not a really good place to be, or we turn externally to focus on the problems of others and solving those problems. And as a result, we rise together. And and, and I agree with you, this idea of digital, digital growth, it is not about technology, which is why in, in banking on digital growth, there was one chapter dedicated to the subject. It's about using technology to bring people together. And, and to that point, when we look ahead at 2021 and even beyond, what do you see are the biggest opportunities for financial brands to either create or capture 
or even the strengths that they have to further capitalize on? Well, I, you know, we we'll, we'll come back to the people issue, but I would say that the other factor there is just going to be, let's just call it knowledge. So you're using knowledge to help people and you're using the people because they have the knowledge and the, to be able to deliver that. And I would point to, uh, you know, a couple of things is as financial brands are less defining themselves by the geographic zip code in which they reside and think about community, community, I'm not suggesting that community isn't, geographic isn't a community, it's one flavor of that. But I, I will say that uh, I see a lot of promise in people focusing their help Again, back to we want to help people. Help is the new sales, you know, right? But it's, I don't, I don't think it's just a spin or a buzzword or a pivot, you know, in language or anything cynical. Very real. But I think it's easier to apply help to groups that you know well. So, you know, for when I started out in the industry working in mar database marketing, I mean, we were talking about one to one and segmentation and all that. That's fine. What I'm talking about is organizational focus on specific niches, whether it's a commercial bank that gets to know a couple of industries really, really well, or like a community bank that focuses in on some specific niches in their areas or whatever. But I was looking over our, our Gonzo Banker Awards that we do every year and thinking of someone like uh, Dub Sutherland over at uh, Trans Transpicos Banks who worked on this you know, establishment of a niche in Bank MD with, you know, in their particular case, helping people or helping people. They're helping doctors. They chose a very specific market that they could focus on. I, I just, I think we're gonna see a lot more of that. I hope that we do, because there's the old adage, the the, the riches are in the niches. And I, you know, I, I recently had Ben uh, Sopit on, who's the founder and CEO over at Unify Money. A neo bank uh, getting started up and and they're focused on the high income you know someone who makes one hundred fifty thousand dollars and over there from their market research eighteen million to twenty five million but he was like they they still have challenges and issues with money and they're trying to solve those problems if if, if not they're even more amplified and and there are doctors in that so when we look at this idea. And this is a repeated pattern and theme that I'm hearing from multiple people now of, of, of niching, of focusing. How do we have that conversation effectively? Because it's so easy to fall back on the old mindset of uh, looking at this as well. That's going to limit our growth potential. But by saying no, you're actually saying yes to a very specific growth opportunity. Yeah, well, I think you, in many ways, you answered part of your own question, which was just because you focus on one area doesn't mean that others won't be inspired by you. Mm. Uh, you know, you can be, you can be a credit union that serves one branch historically of the military who ultimately inspires other branches to want to be served by you, or uh, that's, that may not be the best example, but I would just say by focusing in on, the main thing is, is, is getting an identity I, many of us use the, the term persona, getting getting humanity around who you're helping. Mm. It doesn't mean that you're going to say no to everybody else. It just means that you're going to focus your attention on the areas that you know best. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I use them as one example, but, you know, one of our uh, Lifetime Achievement Awards, for example, uh, that we, we gave John Beal, the CIO retiring of City National Bank, you know, they've there's lots of people throughout the country that have 
done work with City National, now part of RBC, as I understand it. But they they chose to play and win in the entertainment industry and to get to know it very well. And then they started making some very specific technology choices and determining things that they build versus things that they pull off the shelf. Point being is that that helped that strategic sacrifice helped guide them down a path and it always allowed them to kind of keep a North star on that. And I, I just, I, I, I see more of that and I think we'll have more of that. Well, it's by letting go of the past. It, it, it creates the space and time to create the future. And that's a challenge for some because it's like, we want to cling to, to our wins and our successes. Uh, but it's, it's what got us to where we're at today. It's, it's not going to keep propelling us forward. And so it's always going to be this give and take of, 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 of death and rebirth death. And there, I mean, there's a whole archetypal narrative structure that we could dive deep into. And, and so I want to flip this a little bit, you know, we, we've identified some opportunities, this opportunities, this idea of helping focusing down on specific niches on the flip side though, what are some of the roadblocks that you see some of the challenges that financial brands, their leadership teams, marketing teams, sales teams must be aware of looking out at 2021 and beyond that could potentially trip them up going forward? Well, I think one of the big concerns that I have is a healthy discussion, maybe even including some good, healthy arguments. I'm always looking for good, healthy debate in, in strategy. If there's not, if there's not that, that should be a warning sign. Watch out for that. But even when the strategy is agreed upon and, and you have, you know, a visible roadmap and people understand uh, where the organization is headed, I would say that financial brands need to watch out for a misalignment between what they say and where they invest. Oh. So in other words, the, the, there's this directional intent to uh, the once or twice a year look at the strategy, very healthy, but not as much, not as much attention being paid to are we, where are we honestly and not executing well on the strategy, not looking at our monthly numbers. I mean, real honesty on where are we not executing. And the number one area that I really look at here is just, do you have, um, light of sight into where you're putting resources and moving them around to accomplish those things. And I just, I, I think that that's a little bit too undisciplined in many organizations. And so that you can have the greatest intent, but it's just not going to happen because the proper investments in delivery, and we could talk about that, whether and it's not, like I said, we've talked about this before. It's not just are you investing a lot in analytics or data or digital first and all those things? But do you have the people? Have you brought those people on board? Do you treat that team with the same type of urgency and respect that you would treat a team of lenders or historically branch managers or others? That Let's kind of thing. Yeah, let's talk about that because we were talking about that before we hit record. And I think it's a discussion that we need to have more and more of at both a macro level, but also a micro level, because historically speaking, up to this point, we see on average 60, 65% to around 80% of quote unquote digital transformation projects fail. I mentioned in a, a research study that Ron Shevlin had shared on LinkedIn this 
false hope of technology. It creates a, with essentially a technology bias that we adopt some type of new technology, whether that's a, and I think if, if I could, you know, where have I seen this the most? It's probably marketing automation and really more uh, on the CRM side of things. We adopt this new technology thinking it's going to be our savior and come in and make life good for everyone. But then it fails because only a select few have ascended what I call the apex of awareness. They can see out and see the future. Everyone else is still stuck down in the cave of complacency. So how do we reconcile and get more people up to the apex to see the future and then lead them through? Because this is an emotional conversation of letting go of the past to create the future. How can we have more positive discussions to create that 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 clarity, that awareness, that alignment, that consensus that really is where transformation happens in the first place? Yeah, the playbook's still being written, right? It's that there's not like a, you know, like a, a 10 point plan in the dummies text, you know, here. But uh, I would say that it, uh, it really starts at the top of the organization in rolling up shirt sleeves and making sure that organizations set expectations and accountability. And let me be very specific. Many of the technologies and the areas that we that you just mentioned, you mentioned marketing automation and CRM as two examples. Those have historically, and we'll just stay with those examples because you use them. Those are two things that have historically been treated as expenses hmm. by cost centers. So we've used financial accounting instead of management accounting in this banking industry. And we've typically treated not, and this is important because it's not just the technology spend, but the people associated with those technology spends are typically considered cost centers. And until the revenue centers or whatever that, whatever the front end of that is, whether it's a, a customer member experience, a revenue is the more likely I would say candidate, but the top line of the organization and the mission associated with that urgency. The reason why this works for Capital One is because if they don't do those things that you just mentioned well, they'll not do well next quarter, right? right. This is an ur- it's an urgency for them for USAA, for people like BCU, for people like Alliant. They don't have branches. They don't, I mean, if their call centers don't do well and their marketing automation doesn't do well, it's bad, 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 bad. So we have to, I, that's my first is, is accountability at the revenue level and experience level, not, well, we've got a, another cost to layer into our cost centers. It's a bit of an extreme example here, but I can't help, but you you use these, these kind of these digital first brands that don't have the branch network infrastructure, that they're not necessarily physically tied to the past, but I almost could see making a potential argument into a bit of an extreme example, sure. but it's burn the ships. You know, Brett King the other day was like uh, on LinkedIn, he said, you know, if, if you're not investing more in your digital digital technology infrastructure than your physical branch structure, we, we really have to have some serious conversation. So like, just burn the ships, um, you know, <laughs> close down the branches, reinvest that capital, sell off the assets, and then reinvest it, because then you have no choice. 
Technology has transformed our world and digital has changed the way consumers shop for and buy financial services forever. Now consumers make purchase decisions long before they walk into a branch, if they walk into a branch at all. But your financial brand still wants to grow loans and deposits. We get it. Digital growth can feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming for any financial brand marketing and sales leader. But it doesn't have to because James Robert wrote the book that guides you every step of the way along your digital growth journey. Visit www.digitalgrowth.com to get a preview of his best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside, you'll find a strategic marketing manifesto that was written to transform financial brands, and it is packed full of practical and proven insights you can start using today to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits. Now, back to the show. Well, but you know what, though, James Robert? I'll, let me push back on that a little bit because I, sure. I agree with you that it is that I think most people in the industry think, well, yeah, if you're if you're Brett King and you're starting from scratch or whatever, and you're a revolutionary, well, you know, it's easy for you to do that because you don't have all this legacy stuff to figure out. But I would say we're fortunate because we actually have examples now of people who burn the ships. And they would, I doubt that they would characterize it that way, but let me give you a good example. In our Gonzo Banker Awards this year, we gave a Lifetime Achievement Award to Dave Mooney, who uh, is the retiring CEO, long time, of Alliant Credit Union in Chicago. You may have heard of them. They, you know, they, they win a lot of awards for being one of the industry's best uh, you know, kept secrets or whatever, or be best places to do banking. And that's exactly what they did. He came in and they, they literally at one point closed all their branches. Mm -hmm. And this is, a, this is, and they came from, if I, as I recall, they came from United Airlines. They were United, United Airlines was their primary segment. You might not know that now with the Alliant brand, but the point is, is that they recreated themselves both in terms of a brand, but also in how they go to market. These organizations, I would just point out, like Alliant, BCU, USAA, Cap, they just, they have a big head start. Even if they started as a call center bank or a call center, the point is, is that they have a head start because they, they don't have to transform now. That's all. But they right. at least, in many of them, there is a track. They, you can look at what they did several years ago, and there is a playbook for that. Yeah. Well, what you're what you're alluding to is something that I've been exploring more and more uh, is is the, the the methodology or the philosophy of first principles thinking versus traditional thinking, because traditional thinking I, is where a lot of I think financial brands are today because they start with the the limitations. We can't do this. We we're, we're stuck where first principles thinking looks at, hey, here are all the possibilities that are available. It's it's scary scarcity thinking versus abundance thinking. And, and it's a book that, you know, I had shared with a lot and, and, and you said you got a copy of it's, it's who not how by Dan Sullivan, who, who I'll have as a guest on the podcast pretty soon. And the point is, it's, we don't need to think, how are we going to do this? It's who do we need to align ourselves? And, and, and I would love to hear your perspective on this from a collaboration standpoint with FinTech, because you're doing a lot in that space right now. Yeah. What are the collaborative opportunities? Because FinTech is, 
historically speaking, oh, they're the enemy. They're looking to dis- nah. FinTech is not necessarily looking to disrupt because they have their own challenges on their side. You know, they need eyeballs. Traditional incumbent financial brands have eyeballs in communities already established, but they lack the capability that, that FinTech has. Where are the opportunities to bring both together in alignment and, and elevate everyone? Yeah, well, there's uh, there are a lot of opportunities, and this is actually one of the areas. I'm going to come back to this and say it's, it's it's a big resource challenge right now because there are a lot of fintechs that want to work with banks and credit unions. They're out there, they're making phone calls, they're making you know they're doing the video calls. There are intermediaries out there. You've probably heard of some of them out there, like the Moves of the world, right? That want to help with some of the connectivity and interoperability. I would argue, and this isn't a slam to move or anybody else, I've never seen that technology is the primary barrier. It's almost always economics. And you mentioned, I, I, you know, I think the, the scarcity or the legacy factor of, you know, if you've got a compliance officer that says, well, give me five examples of how this has worked before, or we're going to say no, Right. For, for example. Of course, if you want to be a pioneer and you're running up against that juggernaut, you've got a problem, Okay. But I, I'll tell you, I, I see more and more, we, and we see this in our research that's coming out, there are more institutions that want to collaborate with FinTech, more FinTech that want to collaborate with financial institutions. That's the good news. The bad news is when we ask financial brands out there, especially in the mid-sized bank market, credit union market, how many resources do you have assigned to this? The most common answers are either zero or maybe one or two. Now, you and I have talked about this before, but one of the things that I'm always looking for is when somebody tells me something's a priority, I'll usually ask them who's in charge of it, who's, who's responsible, who's accountable. And if they give me nobody or they give me eight people, it's the same problem. It's accountability. That's the big issue right now is, is we think this is going to, flesh out in 21, by the way, which is boards and CEOs that demand more resource be assigned to this and that there be accountability. I think that's one of the big issues. And if we can overcome that. Absolutely. And I think, too, uh, one of the limiting mindsets is we're a smaller asset institution. I'm going to come back to, you know, the your, your Gonzo Banker Awards. And if there's one success story that I've seen from a smaller asset institution, it's Jill Castilla. Yeah. Her, her 300 million in assets doing big things, leaning in. And, I, and, I, and her whole theme, her whole theme was literally pulled from Frozen 2. And it was a a beautiful story to go into the unknown and to do the next right thing. And the work that she did with Mark Cuban and PPP, it's an amazing story. So I don't I I think this conversation around assets and resources and capability, it's to a degree sometimes might be an excuse because Jill's a great example of. First principles thinking, starting and looking at the possibilities and then just going from there. So how do we encourage more conversation, more dialogue to bring people along internally, culturally to help leaders overcome the past, to deal with change in the present and really, I think, eliminate the fears that might be holding them back from creating the, the, the future? That's a great question. I think you're you're hitting on a big you're hitting on a big one. And I, I with Jill in particular, 
as I look back on it, and obviously this isn't just a one-year phenomenon with Jill, right? We've no. seen this. But the, the thing is, is I think if there's a lesson in what she has accomplished, it is transparency and the willingness to express vulnerability. So Jill just puts it out there. Hey, listen, we, we need to get fi figure out this PPP thing. I'm taking ideas from all comers. Please let me know. You know, I, I, I just paraphrased it. I'm sure she was way more lucid than what I just unloaded there. But the point is, is that she was transparent about what she was thinking. And it wasn't like there was two personas, the, the sort of internal free person. And then when I go public, I'm Mr. Ms. Acumen and aren't I all put together? And, you know, like there's this professional versus personal persona that I right. think, let's be honest, many of us had that for years. It's almost like we were raised that way. You get your professional you and your personal you. Social media blows that up. And I think Jill's a great example of this. And I'd point to another person in the industry, Chris Nichols. Yes. Interstate Bank, who just says, look, this is what we're doing at our bank. We're going to all these trade shows and this is what we're learning. And, and this is what we're doing around COVID. You don't even have to agree with him. He's just, he's just putting it out there in earnest. And I think he's helping people, but he's not just helping people with what he's doing and giving them ideas. I think what Jill and Chris and others like them are doing is they're helping people just get, get comfortable with being publicly uncomfortable. Oh my gosh. You know, I'm hearing some patterns now bubble up to the surface and this is a, getting into a bigger conversation of the opportunities of the personal brand. Carrie Ann from once again from JMMB, we were having that conversation because she she's the chief marketing officer. She's an executive and she was talking about the need for coaching at the executive level because the coach helps someone number one identify where their strengths are that they might not even be able to see, but then help them to lean in and have these uncomfortable conversations publicly. And it's okay if you don't know everything. I think that's one of the greatest strengths as a leader is to raise your hand, ask for help. I think too, you know, I, I was just having a conversation with, with Karen over at uh, Boss Insights and, yeah. and, she, and I was at home. And, I, you know, I had, you know, I, literally my kids were popping in and out of Zoom. And she goes, you know, this is one of the neatest things. She goes, I saw you doing uh, something. Uh, it was a CU 2.0 conversation with Kirk Drake. And and, and she goes, it's just, you're like the same person. I'm like, well, I think that's, we have to be this, you know, we can't have, and I love what you said. We can't have these two different personas. We, we just have to embrace the, who we are, um, good, bad. You know, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I, and, and years ago, I started talking about, you know, some of the struggles that I've dealt with and, and, and publicly, because I think that the more we can have those honest, real, transparent conversations, the more we inspire others to have those honest, real, transparent conversations. What do you think? And I think it starts with things like this. Like you, you and I, I think, got onto this call here for just a couple of minutes. We didn't script this. No, absolutely. The not. reason is, is because you and I both know that if we scripted this, the audience would smell a rat. People don't like that kind of stuff anymore. And no. it, maybe they never did. But uh, I think that's what Jill, I think, has done so well is just being an honest leader. She went into an uncertain environment with, with citizens when she got there. So she knows what real, what dealing with real fear is like beyond her military background, right? Mm -hmm. is that she, she, I think she has done a great job of externalizing that and using it to her advantage so that her, her people are inspired by her, but also others, 
I'm inspired by her. I mean, she, so it, she makes it easy to be inspired by, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you talking about inspiration. I've been inspired just from you in this conversation and, and learning uh, already. How can others who have been inspired continue the conversation, continue the dialogue with you? What's the best way for them to to connect with Sam, to say hello and, and, and continue this conversation? Well, you know, in addition to social media, you know, you and I are out there on the on the major channels of, of LinkedIn and Twitter but a couple of other vehicles, and this is just in the spirit of, we believe in content just like you do, right? Big time. I'm a writer and contributor along with many of my colleagues at uh, gonzobanker.com. And so that's one vehicle. You mentioned Ron Shevlin earlier. You also mentioned uh, Karen uh, Moynihan from Boss Insights. Actually, uh, Karen was joined Ron and I on the most recent episode of FinTech Hustle, which is uh, something that Ron and I do in terms of interviews with uh, people in the industry. So FinTech Hustle is another vehicle. Uh, and, you know, Cornerstone, uh, crnrstone.com, we're out there and, uh, you know, talking, in my case, I advise, I I, I do uh, advise banks and credit unions, but uh, my practice area is focused on uh, helping FinTechs and FinTech organizations from the largest to the startups. So we're out there trying to add value to the conversation and uh, appreciate all the things that you're doing. Uh, James Roberts. Well, absolutely. And I want to come back to the, the the fintech hustle that you and Ron are, are are collaborating on. You know, biggest insight that you've gained from those conversations up to this point. If you could like maybe just to, like say, you know what, this is something that top of mind key insight that I that you've learned because I think that's what this is all about. It's about it's about transferring knowledge at scale, but it's also about learning because I'm a big believer. Coming back to this idea of transformation. All transformation is not about technology. Transformation is it, it. It all starts with training and education to gain clarity, to gain awareness into what the opportunities are, and then we can talk about that path of how to get there. But it you have to provide clarity. So it's about learning, but it's also about teaching. So big key insight, big lesson that you've learned from the the conversation that that you have and Ron have had uh, on on the um, fintech hustle podcast. Sure. Well, you know, the big issue of the big uh, opportunity and issue for, for some is, you know, kind of when you look at how the industry has changed and how all industries have changed, people say, well, you know, we've moved to digital sales. I would say we've moved to self-service buying. Let's, let's put it on the other side of that transaction. We are all self-service buyers now. We all want to learn. We, and we all, when we're learning, we want to hear we want to hear natural, natural language. Nat- we want to hear things that are natural. We don't want to hear anything that we can tell as soon as we hear it. Ah, th- these are messaging points chock full of buzzwords that are chock full of not great intent. Okay. Right. So my biggest takeaway is with the hustle is we started thinking, well, maybe we need to put together presentations and maybe we need to. And then it was like, no, that's exactly what nobody needs right now. What we need is Let's just get to, what was it you said earlier? Who, not what? Who, not how. Yeah, who, not how. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Let's figure out who are two great people that have diverse thoughts, maybe one big company, one small company, diverse individuals personally. Let's get them together and let's just ask them what's going on and see what shakes out of that. And what I learned, Kara Parkey of MX, who I met through AFT, the Association for Financial Technology, I'm a big fan. Uh, no, that's not a plug. I'm just saying I'm a big fan. Kara put it best. She said, you know what? The hustle 
you know, just, it just changed. Meaning we're all still hustling. We all still have the same things to do, but because people are self-service buying now, we just have to think a little bit about what our hustle looks like. Hmm. And that was actually the inspiration for the name. The first session that we had, I don't even remember what we called it, but we, Kara was one of the guests. And after she said that, you know, the hustle just changed, I said, Hey, do you mind if we co-opt that? Because I really like it. And I, I think she's spot on. The hustle just changed. Just keep being a good person, but realize that because people are buying self-service as opposed to us trying to sell things or market things as much, it just changes the way that you put together content and delivery. And that's my big takeaway. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Sam, thank you so much for all the insights that you have shared today on another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. I appreciate it, man. Hey, great to be with you. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and wash your hands. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. Like what you hear? Tell a friend about the podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify and subscribe while you're there. To get even more practical and proven insights, visit www.digitalgrowth.com to grab a preview of James Robert's best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside you'll find a strategic marketing and sales blueprint framed around 12 key areas of focus that empower you to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits. Until next time, be well and do good.